we are coming to experience the very presence of God. If that's the reason we come to worship, why shouldn't every one of us come every Sunday or every time we come to worship expecting God to do something miraculous in our lives? Now for the rest for the message for the day. Today ends a series of messages that I think have been very important for this church. It's been a series of messages called Convergence, calling us as God's people to understand God's call for us to come together in a whole variety of ways that, that we've talked about in Convergence. The need that we have as a church to become one, the need we have as a church to know each other, the need we have as a church to be able to worship, to be able to work, to be able to minister, to be able to live our lives as a generational experience within worship and within what it means to be church. Last week, not sure what Wade did over here, but last week my focus in, in, in the message last week, and some of you were at, at the uh, service in the main sanctuary, well, I'm not going to tell you. What was last week's message concerning? Somebody? I don't hear. Man, did neither one of us do this? Last week we were talking about practice. The need that we have to practice this thing we call faith. This practice to practice this thing we know we call church and how to how to 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 understand what God calls us uh, to be about within, uh, within his kingdom, what it means to be individually as Christians, what it means to be the church together, united. United, but not uniform. All of us don't need to be alike. All of us don't need to do the same things. All of us don't need to like the same things. But because of that and out of that, God uses the variety of who we are to be the church that he has planted in this place for the purpose of ministry, for the purpose of experiencing all that he is and all that he does. One of the things that I talked about last week is, any of you have any trouble getting along in your family, in your blood family? Go ahead. This is an active participation part of this service, okay? Reality is, in blood family, we have a reason to be together. Because it's brother and sister, mom and dad, aunt and uncle, all those things. But we have a reason to become to come together as the church of, uh, of God as well, because God has drawn us together for His purposes. Now, if it's hard to be family as your family, how many of you would acknowledge that it's hard to be family as church? <laughs> come on now, go ahead and be honest. Uh, it is hard to be family as church. Because we come from such a variety of backgrounds, because we have so many varied interests, because we have so many different places where God is dealing with us in our lives, it's hard to be church. It's hard to be family as church. And that's part of the reason, I think, last week as we looked at this, the first eight verses of chapter 12, the diff and the call from Paul, the call of God through Paul to us, is to practice these things about your faith to become acquainted with each other, to, to come together and practice together. 
So why wouldn't we be surprised that Paul talks about the basic general aspects of our faith to come together and to practice those to immediately follow with, hey guys, you need to practice how to love. Does the church need to love? Do we as Christians need to love each other? One thing Austin said they talked about at the university retreat this weekend is what is authentic faith? What does authentic love mean to each other? Each other. Today, I wonder, I wonder as we look and transition from the broad issue of practice last week, if God isn't calling us even more to practice loving each other, loving ourselves, not above each other, but learn to love who you are and to love the world around us that needs to experience God's love. I want to read the, uh, the, that passage of Scripture uh, that was shared just a few moments ago from a different translation. What did you use? What translation of Scripture did you use, Hannah? You don't know. Hannah. I know. What translation? NIV. Okay. I want to share this out of the New American Standard because it, I think it, it challenges us a little bit more. Um, and, and this is also a translation I'm going to be preaching out of some of the words it uses. So uh, chapter 12 of Romans, beginning in verse 9, reads there, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributed to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I want you to think about this as we begin a kind of a opportunity for you to begin to, to think about where you are in, in this issue of love and loving others and, and being about the, the love instrument that God calls us to be at the church. How do you want to be remembered? Reflect on that question just for a moment. Imagine that you have passed away and that you are able to be a heavenly spectator at your own funeral. <laughs> I'm not sure that that's where I want to be sometimes. Um, what would your pastor be able to say about your life? More importantly, what would the people from the church, from your work, from your neighborhood, from your community say about you at that service? What would your family say? What would your friends say? What would you want them to say? Would it be different? Or are you afraid it might be different? Um, when your life is all said and done, it seems to me that you will want people to remember you as a loving person person that cared for the community, person that cared for his family, person that loved his family, person that loved his church and loved God and acted out of that love. 
I don't think you would have wanted to wish you spent more time at work. If you do, I'll trade places with you. Uh, I don't think you would wish really and truly that you had made more money. I don't think you wish you had had a nicer home. I don't think you would wish that you would have played more golf or purchased nicer clothes. But I have to wonder, wouldn't we all like to be remembered as somebody that loved as God called us to love? Touched our family, touched our community, touched our church out of what God calls us to do and be in love. Now, I can tell you that there are some of you out there that are saying, Roy, Joe, you've got this all wrong. You don't know me. That's not what I want. Some of you would like to say that I wish they would have told, that they would told the story that I was a provider, that I was um, a great mother, a great father, maybe separated from love, but that's what I did. Um, Maybe that I was just a great defender. You know, I stood up for my family. I stood up for my friends. You're not going to cross this barrier. I drew lines in the sand and... Sometimes those lines weren't what God would call us to do and to be. Some of you ladies, maybe you'd say, you know, I'd just assume that they remembered me as a great diva. Some of you guys that I would just assume be remembered as a great macho guy, able to confront anything that comes my way. Maybe that you'd, men and women, maybe you'd just like to be known as a great hunter. Maybe even, man, he was a great I can kind of guy or I can kind of lady. Scripture calls us to love as God would call us to love. Many times we hear about love and we talk about love in Scripture and where do we normally go to write and talk and speak about love? Where? Corinthians? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? Well, that talks about what love looks like. Paul is talking about how do you do that? How do you do what Corinthians is saying that love is going to look like? It challenges us in all that we are. Just as much as I think he talked to us last week about practicing those things that are natural in our faith and um, how to live a Christian life. I think this later, this latter portion of chapter 12 talks about the same thing as far as how we relate to each other, how we relate to God. How do we come across to each other and how do we come across to a community and to the church that needs us so much? You know, chapter 12 of, of Romans, and for those that we've across the last week, I asked for your forgiveness and a little bit of review, but Chapter 12 of Romans is a transition chapter in Paul's writings. He spent 11 chapters of writing talking about this great picture of theology, about what it means, what it looks like to be called to Christ, what it looks like to, you know, all those things that, you know, the Roman road, how to, how to come to Christ, what does it look like uh, to be a Christian, what are we called to do, how are we called to, to respond, what does the church look like? And then in chapter 12, it's almost as if he transitions and said, this is what it all looks like. Now, here's what you need to do to make it, go, make it work. This is what you need to do to be that Christian. 
It's that call to action, those marching orders that says, this is, this is what you got to do. This is what you need to be about. So here, as we begin further on down in, chapter, in verse 9 of chapter 12, it's the marching orders and what does it look like? How do you love appropriately? Because we're not only called, you know, too many times I think when we hear of love, we think about that fuzzy, warm emotion. But Paul is talking about putting feet to action, to do something with the love that God has called us to do and to be, to go out and touch lives, to go out and and be Christ's hands and feet, to love the community around us, to love the church. Paul's saying that love may not really be love without those actions. Now, that comes to be a, a pretty tough challenge at times. And I wonder where we stand in loving others and allowing others to love us. You know, sometimes having, allowing others to love us can be a, a real challenge. Now, I'm going to be real honest with you right now because I'd want you to be honest with me, okay? I can tell you that I know that I can be a pretty hard person to love. That may come as a surprise to some of you, but I know that. You know, I have learned, um, I have learned to be an introvert. I love my family. I love my job. I love being here. But man, I love to be quiet. I love to just go home and be with Lydia and, and work in the yard and do those things. I love to, to understand that, that those things around me are, are good. I like order. Sometimes people around me would question that, and Lydia especially would question how much order I like. But I like order. I like rules. And I like people to follow rules. And people get really irritated sometimes when I ask them to follow rules. Because they're a part of life. They're a part of who we are. You know, I know that I can be a real hard person to work for and to work with. And because of that, sometimes people get a little irritated and find me hard to love. But I expect somebody to understand what their job is and to do their job. And because of that, sometimes that divides a little bit in in how lovable I am. You know, I've learned even within the church, and this is one of those things that I think all of us that have been in church long, very long, have to understand is, you know, sometimes it's even hard to, to let yourself be loved by the church, and sometimes it's hard to love the church. But Scripture tells us that's what we're to be about. So we need to understand who we are and where we are and how we're following and how obedient we are in responding to love. And by the way, for those of you, in spite of everything that I am, that you love me, thank you. I appreciate that. I need that. And you do too. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands today for this, but I also want to ask this question. If you were brutally honest in who you are, How many of you today would say, man, I'm hard to love? 
just because who I am, I'm hard to love. I want to encourage you to understand what that is and to open up those doors a little bit and let somebody around you love you. And I think part of that journey is to love others that God has called you to love. And I think that's what the Scripture is talking about. The thesis of Paul's writing here, inspired by God, is that love without action is not love. Everything that he presents here in those few short verses talks about something that we need to do to be about. Starts off here in the New American Standard Translations. The reason I wanted to go there, it says, "Let love be without hypocrisy." Now, that's what's printed in the New American Standard, and I love this this translation because if you have a New American Standard version, you'll see that that it says "let" and "be" or both in italics, which means that. Those really weren't in part of the original translation, but they were inserted to make it a little easier to understand, a little bit easier to read. So what the original Greek in that would say is love without hypocrisy. It doesn't say let love be without. It says love without hypocrisy. doesn't give us much option, does it? Love without hypocrisy. Something that each one and every one of us are called to do is to let love be without hypocrisy. Now, who can define hypocrisy for me? Somebody? Man, y'all are quiet today. Wake up. Jennifer, I'm going to bring a mic. <laughs> who can define hypocrisy? Anybody? Say, say something and act another way. That's good. Well, I'll go to the dictionary and tell you what the dictionary says. It's defined as a practice of claiming to have a moral standard or a belief to which one's own behavior does not conform. Any of you ever done that? To have moral standards or belief that, don't, that you're not acting out, that there's something different. Well, let me share with you a little bit more because I think this is really a, a, a better picture because this is what the word that, that is translated into hypocrisy meant in Paul's time. The word hypocrisy was, was used to speak of a character who wore a mask to portray emotions of the character. The facial expression could change with the move of the mask. So it seems Paul's point here is for, for uh, sincere Christians to wear no mask, to be who you are, to be real who you are, and to love through that. Love without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Love should be that which we are known for. Love should be what exudes from who we are. Now from there he goes on and says a four-step approach of how to do that. In those four steps, and I'll go a little bit further into each one of them, but abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another, and give preference to one another. Abhor what is evil. It's not a word that I use in my vocabulary very often. How many of you have used abhor lately? But it's interesting that this is the only place in all of the New Testament that this word is used. Abhor what is evil. 
seems to be very important if that's the only time it ever shows up. Abhor means to have a vehement dislike for something, to hate something strongly. It means there is absolutely no tolerance in your life for evil things. Immediately when he responds from abhor of evil to number two thing there is to cling that which is good. You know, if you don't have any space in your life for those things that are evil, it makes pretty good sense and it opens an opportunity to be able to cling, to be able to hold on to those things that are good and perfect and holy. Because, and I wonder, why is it so important for Paul to say here that it's important for us to get rid of the evil and to cling that's what, to that which is good? Don't we all come and act out and to be those things that we cling close to? We could become like our friends. We become like our associates. We become what we do. So if we get rid of those things that are evil and hang close and hold on to those things that are good, it seems to be that we can love those things that are good and we can act that love out. Now, what are some of those evil things that separate us from appropriately loving those around us? list I came up with, and I want you to go ahead and continue on this list, but some of those evil things that I think would keep us from loving appropriately would be pride, selfishness, and I love this one, favoritism, revenge, bullying, and do you think gossip would get in the way of appropriate love? other godly behavior, behaviors, anything that would remove good things from your life would be those things that would be evil whenever you're considering love. Now, what are some of the things that we need to be glued on to, the good things that we need to be glued on to if we're going to, to love appropriately? Humility, selflessness, generosity, servanthood. Remember, love is not love without action involved. Number three, a task for us to love appropriately is be devoted to one another in brotherly love. The kind, that, the kind of love that says no matter what, no matter when, no matter where, I've got your back. Any of you got friends like that that you know that if you've got issues that you could call on them and they would have your back? And conversely, are you that kind of friend to somebody else? Because they need you as well. This special kind of love, and again used only here in the New Testament, is to denote tender affection for your family, tender affection for those that you love. The family of God, we are called to have tender affection towards each other. We're called to have concern over your fellow believers. We're called to, to stand in the gap. We're called to have each other's back and to become into relationship with each other. You know, those kinds of friends that you have like that, do you miss each other when you're out of town and can't wait to get back together? Do you miss those friends when they move away and you think it's going to be a long time before you, you get to see them again? 
Can you support them when, you, when they need to be supported, either verbally or in silence, or with a hug, with a phone call? Please, something more than just a text. But to touch somebody in great, sincere love. You know, I can tell you that some of you here this morning may have already checked out and said, it's not me. That's too frilly, that's too light, that's too much mushy stuff. But God calls us to love each other as He would love us. Number four says, give preference to one another in honor. Another translation that would see, outdo one another in showing love. He wants you to lead the way in showing honor for other believers. Can we look for, other, for ways to honor other people in our faith? Can we look for ways to honor our friends and those within our church? Can we be aggressive in giving ourselves away in time and in energy and in service? Can we look for ways to provide opportunities for relationships to grow rather than always squashing them or denying them? You know, all this sounds like hard work. And there is nothing in the world that Satan would rather do than keep us separated and not loving each other. You know why? Because we can't do near what we can do to, uh, individually as what we can do together. Satan can defeat each one of us individually a whole lot easier than he can separate us and defeat us corporately. Because we all come with different perspectives. We all come with different supports. We all come with different needs. But it's God's plan for us to love one another. Lydia shared this with me as she was studying her Bethmore Bible study this week. And I thought it fit really well as I was finishing my message for the week. But this is something that she said uh, there and could be a motivational poster for Satan's workroom where it says, keep people apart who together would believe, would serve great kingdom purposes. Motivational sign in Satan's workplace that says, keep people apart who together would serve great kingdom purposes. Satan does everything that he can to control the church, to control who we are individually as Christians. And there is nothing that he ever enjoys more than defeating a Christian that says the church isn't for me anymore. There is nothing that Satan would rather have us do and be a part of than saying, you know, the church isn't worth your time and your effort. Your call to be a Christian really isn't worth that time and effort. God disagrees. Paul's writings here disagrees and tells us that we need to love each other be able to stop Satan in his tracks. You know, there are trial periods that all of us go through in our lives. We all go through those struggles in our lives where we don't feel like our prayers are going above the ceilings. We all have struggles when we don't think the church acted the way that the church should or a Christian acted the way that the, the Christian acted, should have acted. 
But the reality is God says, love each other anyway. Love the church. Love those in it. God calls us to love and put action to that love. As I consider this journey that we've been on in the last months, it seems like years at times, of calling us together as a generation, we've got to learn to love each other. We've got to learn to love across generations. We've got to be able to love this community so much that people wonder what in the world is going on at First Baptist Church that those people are so excited about. And I guess as part of that is, when's the last time you told a friend or a neighbor about the great things God's doing in this place enough to tell them that they need to come and find out and they need to come and be a part of it? It's part of that love that God calls us to. So we finish this morning. I invite you to go to a time of prayer to seek God's face. And maybe in this time you've experienced something miraculous from God. Maybe He calls you to a special purpose. Maybe He calls you to reconcile. Maybe He calls you to redeem a love that you need to redeem. Today may be first time in your life to experience God's love in relationship and sal- up unto salvation, to accept Jesus Christ as that one who loved you enough to die on the cross so that you can love Him back, so that you can love the world, so that you can have eternal life. Today may be even a day of reconciliation among family, among friends. Maybe a time to say, God, it's time for me to be lovable. It's a time for me to be loving.